That's it. We're going to the Cincinnati Zoo and we're going to see all the pretty Christmas lights and that's what we're going to do after Christmas. The week leading up to Christmas was busy, busy, busy and I had a lot of appointments and I was like, man, come December 26th, we're just going to have so much fun. And we woke up on Monday the 26th and we saw Grandma and Grandpa off to go visit Uncle Scott and Aunt Sarah. By noon on Monday, I had a 101 degree fever. Yeah which lasted several days, and then, and then the creeping crud settled in. So you know what I'm going to tell people when they ask me, how was Christmas, what did you get for Christmas? This is what I'm going to say. Well, I got some socks, some underwear, and the creeping crud. How was your Christmas? And then they're going to think, whoa, my Christmas was awesome. And then they're going to tell me something spectacular. And I'm going to do my part to help them feel content. Isn't that that, uh, content? Isn't it hard to be content when there's somebody going to Hawaii? When there's somebody who has an iPad? Isn't it hard to be content? It is. Discontentment if you did not know this, is a very American phenomenon. Discontentment is so American. Because in America, you are constantly being made aware of what you don't have. Your neighbor drives up with a brand new Toyota RAV4, and you're thinking, I know where he works. How did he get that? Who lent him that money? Bankers should go to jail. And you're having these thoughts. And then, and, or your Facebook friends post the photos of the bathroom or kitchen redo that was the Christmas gift, and you're like, that's so sweet. I'm not going to comment, you know, because I would not say anything nice. Or you go to the store with your spouse, and you're in aisle six, and your spouse says, honey, honey, come here, come here. Look at this. They've got a Swiffer that's also a vacuum. We need one. You're like... I didn't even know there was a Swiffer that was also a vacuum. And, but it's not, you know, $59. It's a gazillion dollars. And so on it goes into the cart. Okay. In America, you're constantly made aware of what you don't have. And then in America, in America, there's also a ton of expectations that get put into your head and my head by Disney, by Barbie. You watch these movies and you're trained to expect that when you fall in love and it's going to be a certain way. And have you ever noticed that the people who live happily ever after always do so in a castle? Have you noticed that? They don't go to some hut that's a mud hut somewhere. No, they go to a castle. I mean, Shrek was the first exception, but he's famous and everybody loves him. Okay? So he's got celebrity going for him. But there's all these expectations. There's an expectation that when you graduated, you had this expectation, I bet, in college. I'm a poor college student. I'm a poor college student. I'm a poor college student. But man, when I graduate and I have a job, I'm going to have a decent car. And then you graduated. And there was no job <laughs> or there was, and you were like, wow, okay. This is what C.S. Lewis said about expectations. If you think of this world as a place intended for your happiness, you'll find it quite intolerable. Think of it as a place of training and correction, and it's not so bad. <laughs> there are some powerful forces at work in making you and I aware of what we don't have. And when you and I are aware of what we don't have, it's really hard to enjoy what we do have. Isn't that the case? Isn't that true? A couple of years ago, I did an experiment with the kids. I, 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 I showed up, I went out and got Krispy Kreme donuts one morning. 
and the kids line up at the counter, and I gave Maddie, I've told you the story before, I gave Maddie two donuts, and then I gave the olders each half of a donut. Now, the older children, as you might expect, first thing out of their mouth was, Dad, thank you so much. That was such a wonderful thing for you to get us donuts. You never get us donuts. Now, what did the older say? That's what? That's not fair. How's come she has two donuts and I only have half a donut? (laughs) Did you know that adults are just bigger versions of kids? If you haven't figured this out in life, adults are simply kids with grown-up bodies. Wow, look at what he's got. Wow, look at what she has. And this happens all the time, and we do this. The, so how do you deal with discontentment? How do, you, how do you cultivate a spirit of contentment in your life? Well, well Paul has something to say, and, and I want us to be in, in what he has to say about what he learned. And it's found in Philippians chapter 4. The, the, the Christians in the church at Philippi had sent Paul a monetary gift. Paul was in prison, and he receives this gift from these Christians in the church at Philippi. And so this letter, the, the really the big reason for this letter is him simply getting an opportunity to say, wow, thank you. You didn't have to do that. That was amazing. Thank you so much. And so we're going to pick it up in chapter 4, verse 10. And this is what it says. How I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. How did Paul know this? There was a check. Well, they didn't have checks, but there was a you know, wad of cash that came with Epaphroditus. How I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me. I know you've always been concerned about me, but you didn't have a chance to help. And he's saying, look, I know you guys couldn't send the money sooner. Don't worry about it. It's okay. I'm thrilled that you did. Thank you. Right? And then verse 11, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Literally, Emathon, Enois, Emi, Autarkes, and I, I have learned in whatever I am to be content. I have learned in whatever I am to be content. In our culture, we have a phrase. We'll say, we'll use that I have learned phrase. You know, I've learned to keep my mouth shut. What does that tell you? I have opened my mouth in situations and been pummeled to the ground. And so I have learned, I'm going to zip my lip. I've learned to keep my mouth shut. Uh, I have learned that credit cards can get you in trouble. (laughs) When somebody says that, usually there's a story that goes along with that that thing. Um, But so this is good news. I think to hear and read from Paul, I have learned in whatever to be content. Paul didn't simply have the spiritual gift of contentment. It's not like your neighbor Lucy has the spiritual gift of contentment and you're just stuck to be discontent and always going, okay, this is a learned thing. This can be cultivated. And I look at that as good news. Anybody in any set of circumstances can learn to be content. Now, for those of you history buffs, um, the word that's used, autarkes, autarkes, I can't even say it because it's been forever since I had Greek, is the same word the Stoics would use. Stoics, by the way, um, were basically the Vulcans of the first century. Wait. 
They were the Vulcans of the first century. If you have no feelings and no desires, you can't be disappointed or hurt. So get rid of those feelings, get rid of those desires, just live life a flat line and everything will be okay. It's the Vulcan way, it's the Stoic way. And so this word kind of would carry that meaning, being independent of anything. But what Paul means when he uses that word is independent of circumstances. His learning to be content was independent of the circumstances in which he found himself. He's saying, and he literally tells us in verse 12, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. How could he be so content? How could Paul be content in any set of circumstances? Well, it was the strength and power of God. That's verse 13. For I can do everything through who? Christ, who gives me strength. The first thing I want you to know about contentment is that it really is a gift of God given freely to anyone. Okay? It isn't something that you and I can sort of will and muster ourselves to have. Now, I'm going to talk in a moment about things that you and I can do to work in cooperation with the Spirit. But this is a Spirit gift thing that God will give freely to anyone who asks a Spirit of contentment. And you and I can do some things to cultivate that Spirit within us. And I want to talk about that in a minute. But Paul, Paul is saying in these verses, I believe, I, I can do anything. I can be content in any set of circumstances because uh, I've had lots. I've had little. I've been hungry. I've been full. But in all of it, I've trusted that God was with me. I've trusted that God had me exactly where God wanted me. And remember, Paul is writing this note from prison. He's in prison, and he's going to be in prison for two years. And the big question mark is, are they going to execute me, or are they going to set me free? Can you imagine being in prison with that big question mark, knowing that at the end of the time, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to be released, or they're going to kill you. I mean, I think it's hard to wait for test results from the doctor just overnight. And he's in this context in which literally, I mean, he's the big apostle to the Gentiles. And as a pastor, I can so relate to this. You know, being in a set of circumstances, you're in prison. I mean, Paul could have been bitter and angry. Hey, God, I thought you called me to have this big ministry to the Gentiles. You know, and things were going not so well early on, but churches have been planted and I'm going from city to city and now I'm locked up and I'm going to spend my last few days in jail. Paul actually reached out to the Praetorian Guard while he was in prison. Those were Nero's most trusted men. And he reached out to them because he really believed God was at work and God was with him and that he was precisely where God wanted. And since it's what God's wanted, I can be content because God's in the driver's seat. It's that kind of faith, that kind of childlike trust. He could trust God even when life was unfair. I've met people like that, haven't you, from time to time? They've been diagnosed with cancer or they, they lost their business and literally their shirts and their home and everything. And you ask them, well, how's it going? And they're like, well, you know, God's enough right now. And you're like, you're kidding me, right? No, no, God's enough. This is, they're saying what Paul is saying to us in this passage in Philippians. 
Well, in light of this, let me ask a, a few questions, all right? In, in light of what Paul has to say, in light of the fact that Paul can be content in any set of circumstances, let me ask this. Um, question number one, instead of asking yourself, why don't I have, why don't I have an iPad? Why don't I have a Toyota RAV4? Why don't I have a promotion? Ask yourself this, how's come I have two cars? How's come I have two computers? How's come I have spring, fall, winter, and summer clothes? I mean, we don't tend to think of ourselves as rich. We just don't because isn't it true when you're comparing yourself, you don't compare yourself to the people who are poorer than you. You compare yourself to the people who have more than you do. We all do that. That's how we're trained in America. And so we don't tend to think of ourselves as rich, but the rest of the world looks at us and they go, oh, they do the wah thing, okay? Um, Here's a second question you can ask yourself. When considering a purchase or an acquisition, ask yourself this, how long will this make me happy? I know that Keurig coffee maker that's going to make one blessed cup of coffee at a time, and you're thinking, this is awesome, but then you don't clean it and maintain it, and after three months, it's not making coffee anymore. And you're thinking, what a waste of $200. How many times have you purchased something, and then six months later or a year later thought, well, that was dumb. This didn't last, right? Okay, so on the front end, ask yourself, how long really is this thing going to make me happy? A week, a month, a day. Um, And here's where the rubber hits the road. And so I want to give some practical advice now about how you and I can work in cooperation with the Spirit inside of us in a way that will amplify the Spirit's work of of planting contentment in you and me. And here's the first one. It's a four-word phrase. You ready? It could be worse. Yesterday was Leah Serbrick's birthday. I slept through the first hour of her birthday party because I'd been sick all week. And, and, and yesterday afternoon, I could breathe. And I was like, I can breathe. I'm going to sleep. And then I hear Jenny, hey, isn't Leah's party right now? Shouldn't we? What? What? Okay. It's, I get, arrive to the party. I sit down where the potters are sitting. And Dave asks me the question. So, how was Christmas? What did you get? Remember my... I got underwear, socks, and the creeping crud. That was my first thing out of my mouth. And then I said this, but you know, could be worse. My house could have burned down. I could have wrecked the mercury this week and been out of car. I could have broken my leg. It could be worse. You know, Dave, I'm doing pretty good. I had a pretty good week. <laughs> He's like, okay. <laughs> so there you go. And any time you find yourself having the wans. Just use that four-word phrase, it could be worse, and let your mind take you where it goes. And all of a sudden, see, your set of circumstances don't seem that bad, do they? Uh, It could be worse, all right? Uh, Second practical advice, here are 10 rules for getting rid of discontentment. 10 rules, and you're like, 10? Okay, it's really easy. Go out and do something for someone else, and repeat that nine times. Go out and do something for someone else and repeat that 10 times. And when you're doing stuff for other people, again, it has this tendency to kind of take away the discontentment. Last bit of practical advice is this. Intentionally put yourself in contexts where you encounter people who have less than you. 
Uh, I find, and I've told you this a number of different times, when I am helping on client day or distribution day of the Jesmond County Food Pantry, and I'm helping the clients to their cars, when I drive away in my 1998 Mercury, I am thinking to myself, this is a nice car. And it's only because I've been helping people into all kinds of cars that I'm thinking, you can drive that. That's legal. That starts. (laughs) Hey, this trunk doesn't close. Oh, yeah, we tie it down. (laughs) Okay. My trunk closes. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So put yourself in context where you encounter people who have less. I'm planning to go on the youth mission trip this summer with John Mark. Okay. The youth are going to Steubenville, Ohio. I'm planning to go. Do I want to go to the youth mission trip this summer? No. Does it excite me that I might have to sleep on the floor one night? I don't know if I will or not. Will I have to sleep on the floor one night? Yes. I am so not excited about this. I am not excited about this at all. But you know what? In my home, and with teenagers in particular, there is such an awareness of what all kinds of other people have. And there's always this wanting to upgrade, upgrade. My computer's junk. You know, this is junk. Our car is junk. This, you know, everything about life is just junk. We need to get a better. We need to get a better. We need faster internet. We need... I'm hoping that in Steubenville, I'm hoping that in Steubenville, we'll encounter some folks who have less so that when we come back, what we are thinking is, wow, this is amazing. Look at what we have. Rich! You know, and so... When you put yourself in context, whenever you go to Haiti, uh, Angel's been to Haiti a gazillion times, right? When you come back, you're thinking to yourself, whoa, this is like, right? I know you talk about the fact that I get to sleep in a bed. I have a bed. This is so awesome. I have a bed with covers in a climate-controlled room. (gasps) Yes! Okay? All of a sudden, you know, so put your, intentionally putting yourself in context where you encounter people who have less. And I would tell you this is a very practical reason to do missions. The big reason to do missions is because God loves everybody and because God wants to use you to bless others the same way he used Abraham. That's the big reason. But a really, really tiny reason to go out and do missions, whether it, uh, it's to Haiti or, or Steubenville, Ohio, or wherever it is, or the food, local food bank, The small reason is that when you do that and you put yourself in those contexts, it helps change you because you're now dependent on God in that situation, in that setting, and you're faced with people who have less, and it just does a work of God in you so that on the tail end, you're like, whoa, I'm so blessed, all right? Bottom line, contentment in you and in me is the work of the Holy Spirit. And are there some things that you and I can do to work in cooperation with him? Yes. And I hope you'll do some of those things. But I hope for you in 2012 that you'll have a year of contentment in a culture and at a time and a place where so many people are just discontent all the time. Wouldn't that be cool to just be content with what you have and where you are all year long, knowing that God is with you and has put you exactly where you are. Can I pray for you? Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be here in your presence. Um, I didn't get to pray this yet publicly, but I ask that you would help every single one of us in this room become aware of you, that you would open our eyes and our ears, 
Father, give us the gift of contentment in our homes, in our hearts. Help us to be okay with where we are and what we have. We ask for that work of grace in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.